How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got I to gotta check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. A baseball first podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is beer! I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Hello and welcome into another edition of Booze and Baseball with Dusty Baker. I am Derek Johnson, our throw it back and chug stat of the week. August 26, 1949, the Boston Red Sox took down the Chicago White Sox 11-4. Ted Williams had two home runs, went three for five in the game, which upped his OBP at the time to 505. So over half the time he was getting on base. And how about Mel Parnell? Good old Mel Parnell getting a complete game victory, his 20th win of the season. He finished with 25. You have to go all the way back to 1990 in the American League for the last pitcher to have 25 wins in a season. Verlander almost did it like a decade ago. He had 24. But Bob Welch had it uh, with 27 in 1990 for the Oakland A's. For the National League, you have to go all the way back 50 years to Steve Carlton with 27 of them in 1972 for the Phillies. Also, Randy Johnson, similar to Verlander, about a decade and a half, two decades ago, had 24 of them. But, um, yeah, you have to go all the way back like that to get a 25-plus game winner. Even 20-game winners at this point are a little more rare. You had Julio Urias last year. It's just not something we see as much. Yeah, you know, uh, Tony Gonsolin is on a pace right now to get there. there. There's a chance that happens. He's 16-1, and one, and the recording date is August the 25th. So, for that, Derek, I'm going to take a shot for Gonsolin. Um, <laughs> Tony Gonsolin loves cats. The drink that I have in my hand has nothing to do with cats, but I just okay. wanted to point. I just, I really just wanted to make that known to the world if they didn't know already. They call him the Cat Man. Um, what I have in my hand though is literally a Smirnoff, and I, I mixed it with margarita mix. I've done this before, and it's not a bad thing actually. It like it, it, I guess mediates it a little bit. But I'm gonna take a shot for my man Tony, and throughout the show, I. I probably will take a swig every now and then because it actually tastes good. Also, uh, I think that the fire alarms behind me here, they're going off. If You can hear that in the background because they are. Oh, you can't. OK, that's a good thing. There are fire trucks behind me now uh, going off. I live off the road and I think they're freaked out because they heard that I am uh, going to be taking a shot of this. And maybe they heard the cat along the way and uh, that scared them a little bit. So I was going to say they heard something about cats and as firefighters do, they rescue cats from trees. So they rescue like, cats from trees. The, the good thing is I don't think they have to rescue Tony G. So they may have to rescue me though. Cheers to you. What are you drinking? Okay. I'm drinking a uh, Goose Island 312 grapefruit lemonade shandy. So shandy is a popular summer beer. It's like 90 degrees here. I've never had this before. 
Honestly, it was something my wife bought and everything else that I had in the fridge was something I've already reviewed on here, but here we go. It's a colorful drink you got right there. Mine tastes actually pretty good. It's like a lemonade almost. It's a, it's like a vodka lemonade, but obviously you have the margarita. So it gives it that vibe. And also I froze this. So it's like a slushy kind of. Yeah, this one's pretty good as well. Um, you get the the lemonade shandy traditional of, you know, like a line and Kugels or something, but you get a little grapefruit sprints in there. I wouldn't want to have a bunch of these. It's a little sweet, but you know, you might have one when it's hot. You mow the lawn outside, you sit on the deck or something, drink one of these and you're going to feel refreshed. Okay, on to our uh, MLB season-long beer pong. You have went 0 for 2 last week. You had the Mariners over the A's. They lost 2 out of 3. You had the Padres over the Nats. They split 2 to 2. So, balls are back to me. I only have two cups left on my side. I need to make a comeback here because there's still six staring at me the other way. I'm going to take the Dodgers over the Marlins. I'm a little scared there because Sandy Alcantara is pitching. Edward Cabrera has been fantastic. Scoop him up in your dynasty league. He's pitching on Sunday. A little worrisome there, but I, I just think the Dodgers lineup will be able to overcome and win two out of three there. And then I'll take the Phillies over the Pirates. No need to overthink that one. Phillies are in the playoff race. They need it. Pirates are not, and they're not very good. Okay. It's a pretty safe move, what you have there, I would say, on both sides. Uh, if your biggest fear with Sandy Alcantara is uh, the fact that he's pitching, the Dodgers totally destroyed him in his most recent start. He only went three and two-thirds innings pitched, allowed six runs. Uh, so the Dodgers found a way to get to him early. It's hard to beat him twice. Uh, you know, that that's going to be a difficulty, and it's on the road. But uh, I like both those picks. Yeah, the, the Phillies over the Pirates seems almost automatic, despite the fact that O'Neill Cruz once every 10 at-bats is going to break some new record and then strike out the other nine times. Very uh, boomer bust there so far for O'Neill Cruz, someone I still like for long-term in Dynasty. But, yeah, for the rest of this year, I'm not so sure about that. Okay, so what we're going to do on today's episode we're going to take an early look at 2023 standard Roto Fantasy Leagues. You can look at it as average or OVP, however you want to. And we're going to take a look at who you think might be the top two picks at every position along the board. So it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be a first rounder, second rounder. But at your specific position, are you going to be one of the top guys taken specifically for 2023? Makes sense? Makes perfect sense to me. Let's do Let's it. Let's start with catcher. Catcher, I, I think... Alejandro Kirk has had such a good season. You have the high average, the the high hit tool with Kirk. And there's a little bit of a worry when you have like guys like Gabriel, Gabriel Moreno and stuff on your heels that maybe that could lose playing time. But I think at this point, with how good Kirk has been, I wouldn't be surprised if Moreno becomes like a trade chip for the Blue Jays. And then you have guys like we've seen Wilson Contreras, JT Real Muto be some of the top catchers before. How about a guy like Will Smith who continues to have solid production but when you look at some of the analytics in the baseball savant page, it almost makes you feel like he should be putting up like these MVP type of numbers that maybe he breaks out there. Who would be your your top two guys you would hone in on at the catcher position? Yeah, you know, I, I think that Real Muto has had a really good uh, comeback here in the second half of the season, but he's not particularly a guy on that list for me that that stands out as opposed to the other names that you listed right there. Um, and so with that in mind, I think that he kind of goes off my list. It, 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 I don't know if you could hear these alarms behind me, but they are, loud. Yes, they are very loud. There is somebody that got really upset about JT Romuto, <laughs> me just axing him from the list. So I need mm. to really watch myself. I'll take a shot for that just because I deserve that. So Derek can attest to that. I will. Yes. Well, you know who the interesting one here to me is, is Wilson Contreras, because we don't know where he's going to be. He's a free agent, right? 
So a lot of that's going to depend where he signs. If he re-signs with the Cubs and he doesn't have a lot of roster protection around him, maybe that's the difference of you saying, I'll take Kirk, I'll take Smith, I'll take Real Muto or something over him. But what if he signs with a really good hitter's park or in a really good lineup that makes you feel like maybe he'll be the first catcher taken? Yeah, you know, I, I think that there's got to be some reason why the Cubs decided not to trade him. Um, obviously, they've been willing in the past to trade their studs, uh, Chris Bryant, Rizzo, and Baez in the same season. So there's something there that leads me to believe they're going to work out an extension of some sort. Uh, they do need some sort of figure in the middle of their lineup. They need a guy that they can build their team around and uh, normally they tell you if you want to build, build an MLB organization the right way, do it up the middle, right? So you do catcher, shortstop, center field. That's generally how you do it, and obviously in the rotation too. So I have a feeling that Wilson Contreras is going to stay a Cub. Uh, obviously can't guarantee that. The hitter's part, though, is still there in Chicago. So the only thing he'd really be improving on is the actual lineup uh, that he's involved in. I don't know if that's enough for me to really put me over the top when you look at age and comparison to these other guys, you know, Alejandro Kirk's kind of fall off here in the second half has me a little concerned, but I like the age. I like the ballpark. I like the lineup. I agree with you completely about how they possibly handle Moreno. Um, You know, what if they're in the market for a guy like Jose Ramirez and the guardians are dumb enough to trade him. Right. So who knows? Who knows what happens here um, with Moreno moving forward, but I think they'll find a way to get Alejandro Kirk in the lineup. I would go Will Smith. Number one, because I think there's the most consistency there. The youth is there. He's in a good lineup. He's cleanup hitter. He's got three guys ahead of him, and you know two of the three will be there next year setting him up. There's a chance if, if Trey Turner goes, Will Smith's hitting third in the lineup, right? So uh, he's not, he's not going to move down. He's either cleanup or three-hole next year. So I just expect that Will Smith is going to continue to get even possibly more at-bats. There's this thing that actually favors him that a lot of people don't realize. It's that Diego Cartaya uh, will eventually be coming up soon, and he will be playing catcher probably more frequently. We'll probably spell out Austin Barnes at some point. Barnes did sign an extension, so they'll have the defensive replacement. But you have to imagine that Will Smith will probably learn to get a couple reps at first base, at third base. Justin Turner, obviously, getting older on that end, too. DHing, I think Will Smith will qualify for more positions moving forward. So if you're in a league where you know you need some flexibility, how about having a catcher that also could play other positions. I, I just think Will Smith's a great keeper to have. Uh, and then I would say Kirk too for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm going those exacts too. Uh, Kirk's walk rate is higher than his K rate right now. So even though he is struggling in the second half, I think he'll get back to it. And the high ceiling for the average and everything. But uh, Will Smith, I just feel like the breakout is coming. Like he's already been really good, but I feel like that, that next level is coming sometime soon. Let's go to first base. There's a lot of good options there. Freddie Freeman. Paul Goldschmidt is having an unbelievable season right now. Pete Alonso gives you a bunch of power. Vladimir Guerrero is a first baseman. Austin Riley has eligibility there. And Matt Olson has had a really good year in Atlanta as well. Who would you be going with as your top two for next year? This is so tough because you talk about guys that are on the older end and guys on the younger end that produce the same peak. Um, It's so difficult because I think when I look at the names listed here, You know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. pops off the page as like a sexy name, but I I don't know if I can include him in the top two here as as far as a redraft league is concerned. If you're talking about keepers, it's pretty obvious here. You go Vlad Jr. one uh, just because of the future here. Pete Alonzo offers a lot of pop. He offers a lot of RBI opportunities. I really like what he has there, but I also don't have him on my top. I think Austin Riley, as great as he's been in the youth that's there too, Um, I think we're kind of seeing what his maximum potential is, uh, which is not a bad thing, obviously. I mean, I think he's going to be 
a perennial 280 hitter with 30, 40 home runs even. Uh, but what we're seeing from Paul Goldschmidt this year, you, you can't just ignore that. He has been, outside of Aaron Judge, the best hitter in all of baseball. And for that one reason, I mean, I know he gets older, he gets a year older. Has he shown any signs of slowing down at all at any point this season? No, he has been consistently so hot every day, every week, to the point where he's almost a cheat code if you need some sort of offensive insurance. Uh, his OPS over a thousand. I mean, he's the kind of guy that I want on my team no matter what. I would probably list him number two on the list. I think Freddie Freeman for me is number one. He gives you average. He's giving you maybe not as much pop as Goldschmidt particularly, but the on-base percentage is insane. He actually steals a base once in a while too. His RBI totals are through the roof. He leads the league in hits constantly. He's going to get on base for you. He's going to get every category for the most part. And as a contributor in a lineup that he's going to be in the top three no matter what, He's going to score runs. He's going to drive in runs. You can guarantee that in that Dodgers lineup. I feel like I have to go Paul Goldschmidt and Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman to me is the knockdown number one there. The Guerrero thing's tough because he, he's still having a really good season. I mean, 282, 350, 505 slash line. But what he did the year before, 311, 401, 601 slash line, is just taking it to a whole nother level. I, I think I'm leaning the potential of Vladimir Guerrero as the number two because of that. Honestly, I might go Alonzo and then have Goldschmidt as well. I, it's just it's sometimes so age. <laughs> I know it really is, but sometimes you just kind of fall off the cliff as opposed to a gradual decline. Goldschmidt's going to be 35 in September. So I, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't hold that against him because it is a one year league thing, but I'm, I would go with the potential for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, I'll, for give the you, second one. I'll give you the counterpoint to Goldschmidt turning a year older, right? He has only gotten better somehow with age. He's one of those players, clearly. And Derek, this is the date of recording, August the 25th. If I told you that Paul Goldschmidt's ending numbers for the season, okay, if they were 31 home runs, 100 RBIs, 34 doubles, he had a 335 average, a 417 on base, and a 622 slugging. Those were his season-ending stats. Would you say that that's not probably a peak top 10 player right there? Oh, for sure. I mean, he he's done everything and more that you could ask. So right. I, those I mean, numbers, those numbers are as of today, right? Yeah. We still have a full month left. Like he's he's projecting right now to hit 40 home runs. Who knows how many RBIs? I mean, the, the pace that he's going at right now, this guy is gonna have 130 RBIs, maybe. His average doesn't slow down. I just I love what I've seen from him. So I'm not gonna let age affect my decision too much unless it's a keeper league, then obviously I, I totally agree. I mean, Vlad Jr., the the potential there is by far the highest, no doubt about it. But it, it's so difficult because this is by far the strongest top-heavy position. And, and honestly, it's not even just top-heavy. It's The depth of it is pretty insane. Let's go to second base. I don't know that there's nearly as much depth there. You have <laughs> Trey Turner. I feel like that's the answer. But you do have Mookie Betts, and he has the outfield eligibility. Ozzy Albies coming back from injury. Do you want to go on like the Jazz Chisholm train? It's just Trey Turner, right? And Mookie Betts. Yeah, it's pretty safe. And and Jazz Chisholm's health history is already concerning me. I mean, back to back years of not being healthy, and you know, you have a back issue that usually doesn't go away. Uh, so that's a a tight, a slight bit concerning. Um, one guy that I'm kind of curious about, you know, moving forward is Brendan Rogers. Uh, this is obviously not top two caliber, but. You know, you haven't necessarily seen the power from him just yet. 
but the amazing capability he has to get on base. I mean, he's demonstrated that over and over. And I think that he's a, a subtle sleeper, at least at that position. Um, if you're playing like an ESPN league, I don't know if Mookie Betts is listed as second base in that. So assuming that Mookie's not listed at second, let's assume Trey Turner is not listed at second either because Ooh. he hasn't played a single game at second base this season. So there is a chance he actually loses that eligibility. So with that in mind, assuming those two are off, the table uh, you know then you're looking at it like okay who realistically actually I mean, you're gonna throw the, like tommy edmund in there right the- right you know like uh, it, jose altuve feels to me like mm-hmm. an obvious at that point and then you're bickering between andres jimenez jeff mcneil luisa rise if he gets a second base eligibility um and brendan rogers and i'll be honest with you Outside of Altuve, you know, I'm going either Jimenez or Rogers there. I, I like both those names and the youth for both of them. Um, you know, I think Jimenez has proved a little more this season in terms of overall production, but I love cores for a hitter. And I, I think Rogers is sneaky in that position, but there is a chance. There is a minor chance that Trey Turner doesn't have that eligibility next season. I have a fun either or for you. Who would you rather have for dynasty? Because both these guys are kind of similar. High power guys, low average, injuries a lot. Jazz Chisholm or Byron Buxton? Oh, man. Oh, that's like the death trap. I, I'd probably have to say Jazz Chisholm just because there's more time for me to be upset by his injuries. Um, versus Byron Buxton probably has about four years of angering me constantly. I, I own Byron Buxton in our keeper league. And I have the I, I told Derek this before. I have the biggest love-hate relationship with Byron because – I refuse to trade him for anything less than what I desire for him. But I also hate the the days that he's on my roster and he's just sitting there every other day. And you're like, this guy can hit 40 plus home runs. He, he's, he, I think he's the most athletic player in baseball. And I also think he's the most brittle player in baseball. So uh, it, it's just unbelievable. He's the Christian McCaffrey and then some of fantasy baseball. That's, that's what he is. He, he, he can be high of highs. And just the most frustrating low of lows. And he just makes you want to bang your head against the wall. Let's go to third base at the hot corner. Jose Ramirez has been so darn good this year. Austin Riley, though, has been fantastic. So this third base is tough. I mean, we came into this year and it felt like the, the position was kind of thin. And, and to be clear, I still think third base is a little thin once you get outside of these like elite names. But there are a good amount of elite names. I, I just mentioned Ramirez and Riley. Manny Machado is going to keep producing. Rafael Devers is still young, entering into his prime and putting up big numbers. Nolan Arenado is MVP candidate in St. Louis. And what about a possible jump from Bobby Witt Jr., who's been so much better since that first month of the season when he really struggled? Who do you think are the top two here? Uh, guy, it's tough, man. Uh, Jose Ramirez has been statistically the best third baseman for the last two seasons in fantasy. So I don't really see that slowing down necessarily. Uh, he He's done it again this year so this is the third straight year i feel like the numbers the history that doesn't lie so that makes him kind of automatic he is getting older the stolen base numbers they're dropping off a little bit but the overall production i mean he just hit two home runs the other day the 551 slugging it's it's hard for me to pass on that you know as a fantasy owner of jose ramirez you dream of him getting traded i don't think it happens in cleveland obviously but um you, you dream of that as for the second one man it's tough because I love Rafael Devers as a keeper player, and I think future value, it's pretty obvious that that's, that's the guy that you list. But as of just a year-to-year basis, man, the way that you've seen the production this season from Austin Riley, uh, the the power, the RBIs, 
uh, he's outdone Devers there. The average Devers has beat him in, but on base percentage, they're pretty even. Slugging, they're pretty even. Um, doubles, they're pretty even. Riley's has more hits, more runs scored. I don't know. I, I feel like Riley is going to be the staple, at least for next year. And while first base was a little more difficult for me because there are just so many top-tier guys, I might think that just for next year's purposes, I would take Riley over Devers considering their organizations are in two different directions. And I think that, that plays a role. So to be clear, I think Jose Ramirez will be the top third baseman taken. I think I might wait on him. I don't know what's going on, and it hasn't really affected this season, but his barrel rate in 2020 was over 10%. 2021 was 11%. Like MLB average is around 5%, so he was killing it. This year it's at 6.6%. I don't know what's happened in there. Um, his slugging is 551, but his expected slug is 421. So, again, I – I don't know if that's just like an anomaly and, and there's something weird going on or if there's something there, but he's going to be turning 30 years old here in the next month or two. Um, is it crazy to say that I might have Bobby Witt Jr. in the top two? Because no. if you look at this list of third basemen, outside of Jose Ramirez, Ramirez has 14 steals this year. Austin Riley ain't stealing bases. Manny Machado, Rafa, like you might get a handful of steals from some of these guys. But none of these guys are stealing bit. Like, Witt is the one guy on this list outside of maybe Ramirez who you feel like could get 20 steals. And really, Witt is the only one who you feel like could get maybe 30 steals on that list. And I think that matters. Sometimes when you're taking guys early, it makes drafting so much easier if you, one of your prime hitters that you got early on can also steal bases because then you don't have to waste a late-round pick on a guy like Miles Straw or Jorge Mateo who's going to tank your average but give you those steal numbers. So I think I'm going to have Bobby Witt in the top two and then, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm between Jose Ramirez and Rafael Devers. I, I guess I'll still give Ramirez the nod just because of the track record and history, but I, I do have a little bit of a worry there. I Next get that. Yeah, to- totally fair. You, you make very valid points. And, um, you know, we just talked about, and I, I just made the argument about Goldschmidt, how the age doesn't scare me as much. The age with Ramirez scares me a little bit more. And the reason behind that is there's two things. Number one, He's not in a lineup where he's really that well protected. So if he, you know, slows down even a little bit, step steps lower. I, I hear your little bottle cap spinning there. Um, that's how my head's going right now. It's spinning a little bit, but um, I, I do get a little concerned because of the stolen bases numbers. Uh, I do like the wit, com- uh, the at least the name of wit being thrown out there. I think that you can get him though for value at a lower amount. Like I, yes. you, you know, what I'm saying like so. Yes. So he's. I could see him being a top two. Yeah, yeah. Man. I guess that's my point on this one. I, I approach this one a little bit differently. Yeah, you're you're yeah. right. He won't be one of the top two taken, and he probably shouldn't be. But if you told me I could have Wit in the, I don't know what, like third round or something. As you could get to him taking, probably in the fourth in a redraft league. Sure, sure. Yeah. And, uh, so if I could have Wit in the fourth round as opposed to Ramirez in the first, and then I can use that first on whoever, Freddie yep. Freeman or yep. Pete Alonso or whatever, I think I would prefer that. I, I, I think that's a totally fair assessment. Um. Derek and I are both, I think, equally high on Bobby Wood Jr. And uh, that's just because this kid is a stud. And I think he's a generational talent that hasn't quite shown exactly what he's capable of. But if you look at the numbers this year, they're still really pretty solid. Um, He's not slugging yet. Mike Trout didn't look good in his first year. I'm just saying the Mike Trout, Bobby Wood Jr. comparisons, I still think they're very real. Let's hope that Bobby Wood can stay healthier than Trout did. Okay, on to the shortstop position. Trey Turner. Uh, Dansby Swanson's had a great year. I don't know if we're expecting him to repeat, so I don't know if 
he'll get brought up here, but he deserves it because of this year. Francisco Lindor has had a nice resurgence season. We can go back to the well with Bobby Wood Jr. here. Uh, Bo Bichette was like a top five pick overall in fantasy. He's kind of dropped off to being like a top 80 player now, but uh, maybe he bounces back. He's still really young. Xander Bogarts just is a hitting machine. Fernando Tatis is back, but to what level and how many games? I don't know. Uh, Wander Franco coming off injury and everything, kind of a disappointing season. And then you have Corey Seager, kind of a disappointing start, but he's heated up. Jazz Chisholm again. Uh, Tim Henderson really hits. There's a lot of good shortstops here. I think this is a position you can probably wait a little longer in the draft. I'm a super biased Vaughn Grissom. No, I'm just kidding. I I, I like Vaughn Grissom <laughs> a lot, but he's 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 got still some proving to do. I will say though, if you're in a fantasy league and somehow that guy is not owned, you better pick him up now because this dude is an absolute freaking animal. I wrote an article about him like a month and a half ago while he was in the double A system. He gets called up. I was shocked. I did not expect that. And then the way that his production is gone, I just feel like a genius right now. Like that's probably I, I usually have one a year where there's a guy that I I identify. And they just blow up. I thought it was going to be Esteuri Ruiz. The Padres decided to hate me for that. Uh, benched him after he had a hit every game. And then he you haven't heard from him since. But Vaughn Grissom, man, really cool. Anyways, back to this. Sorry. Uh, Trey Turner, we don't know what team he's going to be on. I'm going to make a guess here. I think Trey Turner is going to sign with an NL East team. Um, it's probably it, It's not going to be the Mets because they have Lindor there. Um, there is a chance that the Washington Nationals actually go out and sign him. I, I know that sounds crazy, but they just got all these good young pieces and they're going to want somebody to build the team around. I know Trey loved it there. I know they loved him. And I know he loves living on the East Coast. It would not shock me if the Dodgers win the World Series this year. If Turner says, okay, I've done it twice. I'm going to go back to home, take all the money. It would not shock me if the Nationals just throw the bank at him because they love him. Um, Marlins aren't going to sign him. I don't think. Um, and you know, you look at the Braves, they don't need to sign him. Uh, and so you kind of eliminate all the, uh, the choices there. The only other team would be the Phillies. Um, unless he goes to the Yankees, which is a possibility. I just, I think he's going to the East coast though. Right. So he's not going to be a part of this Dodgers lineup. He's not going to score as many runs. He's not going to steal as many bases because he's getting older. I still think he's the top shortstop. I just wanted to find a way to downplay him. He's still the number one guy. <laughs> he He's really, really good. Um, he, to me, is the number one dude at this spot. Number two is a lot harder. Um, Bobby Wood Jr. is my answer. But I will say that Lindor this season has made a case to probably be in that conversation. Um, he's looked really freaking good all year long. Bo Bichette, man, how he has dropped off for me. I mean, at the start of this year, I would have been shocked if Bo Bichette was, it was not in the conversation, but he's not in the conversation. Uh, Bichette has really probably dropped off a lot on my board. Um, and, you know, I thought Marcus Semyon would be in that point. He's not really impressed me accordingly. Corey Seager, same thing. Uh, I'm, I'm staying Trey Turner and then also Bobby Wood Jr. Turner has to be the guy at number one. Um, I think I'm with you on Bobby Witt Jr., I, I, I'm intrigued by when Wander Franco is going to go, like taking a shot on him a little bit later in the same way I was talking about Witt at third base. But, yeah, I, I think Swanson, like this is a career year. He'll take a bit of a step back. Swanson's not that, even been that good over the last month. No, he hasn't. He hasn't. He's struggled a little bit more, which makes sense to me. He had such an insane first half that he's a really good player, but he, you know, is – not like a top 20 player in the league with with some of the production he was putting up. So I, I think I would agree with that. I would 
be most intrigued by Wander Franco again in terms of like a later pick who won't be a top two guy. But yeah, Lindor, especially with the way that Lindor is stealing bases again, that's super beneficial. So he would probably be in the, the tightest competition for me with Bobby Witt. Next position on the agenda is outfield. A lot of good outfielders typically have multiple outfield spots. That'll make this a little more difficult. Aaron Judge, after the season he's having, would have to be in there, right? But then again, he has injury history. Mookie Betts, Jordan Alvarez, kind of same thing as Judge. Unbelievable hitter, but I don't know, the injury history. Julio Rodriguez, as a youngster, has been so good. Kyle Tucker, Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, Fernando Tatis, Luis Robert. Did I miss anyone? Oh, man. I mean, this is just a ridiculous position. Um, You know what? Outfield in baseball is like wide receiver in football to me. There are just so many good players. The depth there is insane. And you really can't go wrong with the top like 15 outfielders. It's the same in football. The top 15 receivers are all unbelievable. So it's really difficult. Do we want to pick three just because an outfield is three? Yeah, Yeah. let's do that. Um. Aaron Judge is interesting because while obviously the season is absolutely magical, you know, people don't realize that he's on the older end of things, right? Um, he also is a free agent at the end of the year. And I have this weird gut feeling that he's going to sign with the San Francisco Giants. I just have this gut feeling that Farhan is going to pull the switch. It, Aaron Judge was interviewed uh, a couple months ago and asked about a, a fan that really was going to be upset if if Judge was uh, leaving the Yankees and he basically just totally dismissed it. And I, I don't know. There, there's something weird. I just I, – I mean, on that, uh, there is a lot of, like, Giants, um, I guess, media and fans who are kind of getting on board with that. Remember, he played college at Fresno State. He's from California. So that's definitely been a big thing. Like, the Giants have not – but I just keep circling back to the fact that they have not – Farhan, the most money he's spending is on, like, Carlos Rodon on a two-year contract where the second year is an option or the longest contracts he's given are three-year deals to like right. Tommy LaStella and Wilmer Flores. So my guess is what he's going to do. He's going to offer Aaron Judge. Because remember, like you said, he's like 30 years old. Is that he's going to offer Aaron Judge like a two-year $100 million contract and Judge is just going to go somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that. Farhan likes those kind of deals. It was similar with Bryce Harper uh, to LA, the same concept there. But I, I just don't know if Judge is going to be a Yankee. I, I Part of me kind of sits here and wonders, like, how will that change how he's hitting? I mean, he's been unbelievable this year, and I don't want to take anything away from that. But the expectations next year are going to be through the roof when he's a year older. And, you know, we've seen his fallouts before. He had his crazy rookie season and he kind of just drifted off into a, you know, early to late third round type pick. Right. So part of me is saying he's not the first guy I would choose on this list as far as what we see next year. I'd I'd say number one on my list truly is probably Julio Rodriguez. Um, Julio Rodriguez offers steals. He offers power. He offers average. We've seen just the tip of the iceberg of what this kid can offer and, I mean, he's going to offer first-round value, let's be honest. Uh, Keeper league, he's going to be insane. Um, In terms of, you know, redraft leagues, I think he's going to be insane too. The ballpark doesn't favor him. The ballpark doesn't matter. Julio is a special breed of talent, and and I think that he's one of my easy choices here. Another one, you know, I was thinking about Jordan, but his health has really concerned me a lot. Um, You're going to get a little bit lesser of a Byron Buxton issue there where he's injured off and on um he concerns me just a little bit he's gonna be great when he plays but i don't i don't love it i think juan soto a full year in san diego 
is going to make him a choice for me here uh, as a second outfielder. So, and it's just because the on-base percentage is through the roof constantly. Um, you win that category pretty simple uh, if you have him on board. So Julio won, and then my third pick, Ronald Acuna is really frustrating me with injuries. Mike Trout, I'm, he's on the back end of his career. Bryce Harper seems to constantly get hurt. Fernando Tatis Jr. is like a disaster mentally. Love Luis Robert, can't seem to get his head from being dizzy constantly. It's it's probably still got to be judged for me, but it's not. A, I just wanted to make the point that it's not as easy of a choice because of the destination um, and because of the age. You know, it's wild. I'm looking on on baseball savant. They have a expected home runs by ballpark, and you would think that oh, because this was my immediate thought. Like I've seen several home runs he's hit this year that like were kind of cheapies, or I was like ah, that's not a home run in a lot of parks. So he's 48 with the Yankees at time of recording. I was looking at the Giants out of comparison. He's expected in San Francisco to have 49. Really? And this is Yeah, right? I, wow. I'm shocked by that. So it must be something about like where he's specifically hitting them, right? Yeah. Um, but this is fun. If he was in Colorado or Cincinnati, he would have 56, <laughs> which is just incredible. He, he should sign in Colorado and join Chris mm-hmm. Bryan in the all-injured and uh, all-old team that has no chance to win but hits like a billion bombs a year. The Red Sox? The Red Sox and the Rockies are so funny to me because so the Red Sox heading into the day, they lead the league in doubles. And you kind of could have predicted that at the start of the year because they just have a bunch of hitters that hit doubles. The Rockies could be the same version of that with home runs if they got Aaron Judge. And do you think next year, the Red, let's say Judge goes to the Rockies and the Red Sox retain everybody they have right now. Do you think either of those teams makes the playoffs despite <laughs> the Red Sox leading the league in doubles, the Rockies leading the leading home runs? <laughs> I will say, I mean, you can never count out the Red Sox because like they're going to probably spend money on a few players right. that are going to help them. So, but no, I still don't think the Rockies make the playoffs. I, I don't. Funny. And part of the reason too is like Aaron Judge has had so many injuries in the past that do you really like, like would you feel great if I said, oh, he's going to play 140 games for the team he's on? No, next absolutely not. Aaron Judge scares me health wise. Mm-hmm. It's actually amazing. Knock on wood. Somebody, some Yankee fan is going to murder us. If he, if he, if he goes down with an injury this week, like we need to delete this podcast immediately or else we're going to get like death threats, man. So we should probably be careful with what we say right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hope he's out. He's so much fun to watch, but honestly, that scares me enough that I would go Soto Acuna and either J Rod or see, I'm tempted to take Jordan Alvarez, but it's like, it's the well, same if I'm issue. worried about injury. Why would yeah. I not just take Aaron judge? Right. The other thing though, that scares me with judge is that, so he has 14 steals this year. And that's been an added boon to a guy with so much power. When he signs that new mega contract with the new team, I wonder if they're just going to be like, Hey, we don't want you running. We don't want you having those injuries. So I guess that could be a positive or a negative. Maybe it allows him to have less injuries, right. but also maybe it lowers the steals. I guess I'll go judge in the third spot. Okay. Yeah. I could go with that. I, I, I agree with all those basically. Okay, starting pitcher. Um, do you want to take three for these as well? Because there's so many that. options. Let's do so it. Corbin Burns, um, there's some concern there as he's losing some of his command right now, but maybe he can easily get that back. Sandy Alcantara has been unreal this year. Doesn't have as much of the strikeout numbers, though. Uh, Justin Verlander, obviously in like Dynasty in five years from now. Who knows? But for next year, why not if he's doing it right now? Shane McClanahan's been awesome. Max Scherzer, kind of same idea as Justin Verlander. Still super good. Dylan Cease has had the great year. Uh, Julio Urias is just, you know, continues to put up numbers for the Dodgers. Alec Manoa will be heading into his third season in the bigs, and he's already produced so much. 
Shohei Otani has gotten to a point where he is already so good as a pitcher, and now he's starting to throw a new pitch with that like sinker two seamer. So what if that pitch is just like dominant and just makes him even better than he already is? Uh, Garrett Cole is is fading a little bit, but wouldn't be shocking if he was there. How about Spencer Strider? If you want to take like a a kind of higher risk player, Brandon Woodruff, Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, Jacob Degrom. If you want to deal with the injury, there there are a lot of really good starting pitchers. So where would you start with here? Yeah, I mean, guy, it's so tough because you know you can base everything off what you've seen from this year. You can base off the history of it. You've got a lot of good young surging guys okay dylan cease for example if you're a big uh, k per nine guy i mean that guy has exploded and you may find more value with him there and rightfully so right because he's just been unbelievable um if you're uh in a league that takes quality starts you're probably a guy that you didn't even list on this uh think about the good old houston astros you mentioned justin verlander uh, it's not even the guy that i'm talking about framber valdez has been mm. unbelievable right um, so there's a lot of different metrics and a lot of stats that you could look at that you really value higher than others. I'm going to go across the board and just assuming ERA whip strikeouts, wins and losses, right? In my head, if you're in a standard 10 by 10, right. Or five by five league, I should say, um, where those are the categories. Um, Garrett Cole's ERA has scared me a little bit, but if you look at any of his blow up games, he follows with a nearly dominant performance He's getting older, and that's a concern, but the Yankees are going to continue to win games while he starts. Uh, his losses probably won't be there that often, and, and that's something that you kind of have seen maybe a little bit less this season. Is uh, That's been a little more of an issue. But the strikeouts, he continues to be just completely incredible. He, he was a first-round draft pick value this year. I have to still add him to that list, even though I think that his age is definitely a little bit frightening. But if you're trying to win strikeouts, if you're trying to get a guy that's going to get you wins, the ERA is still going to be in the threes. The whip is probably going to be in the ones. I mean, like uh, the low low ones uh, don't expect to be under one, but he, he's going to give you the most predictable top tier stats, right? Versus some of these other guys, you mentioned Corbin Burns. It's a little concerning when you see a drop off. He had an implosion against the Dodgers, which who doesn't, right? Alcantara had the same thing. Um, it, it's tough because... I want Cole for the track record. I think pitchers scare me a little bit with track record. Walker Bueller is a prime example of that. Um, and so I want a guy that can show me that they can go deep in their career and not really suffer injury. Garrett Cole's kind of been that way, right? We haven't really had the chance to see as much of Corbin Burns or that much of Sandy Alcantara or Shane McClanahan, Dylan Cease, right? Um, Julio Arias is an interesting candidate, but he doesn't have necessarily the – the exact advanced stats that I'd want out of him. But for a five by five league, man, I mean, he's going to get you wins, not many losses. His ER is going to be low. He'll get you the occasional strikeout. Like he has an argument actually to be in that conversation. With that all being said, I think it's for me, Garrett Cole. I'll say Sandy Alcantara, just because I believe firmly that he's the best pitcher in baseball. And I think that translates into fantasy too. And then my third pick here it's tough because Corbin Burns was kind of the top guy off the board this year. Um, I'm going to say that that's still my guy for number three, but I'm, I'm leaning Corbin Burns, but Dylan C sure makes an argument for me. I uh, am going to go Corbin Burns. That's the one I feel best about, even though some of the, the walk rate is up and some of the command is down. Garrett Cole's interesting because yeah, there have been those blowups and everything. And that is a little scary when you're pitching in that ballpark, but yeah, you look at, like, you know, Saris's stuff plus number. He's still one of the highest uh, numbers among starting pitchers. So I'll go Cole there. And then 
I, I, it's so I, tough. The responsible pick is to take like Max Scherzer or whatever. I am going to go off the box, off the well, not off the board, but um, a little more outside the box here. Spencer Strider. Spencer Strider has been so good. He's a he's a two pitch pitcher right now, which can be a little scary because as you continue to go on, eventually you're going to need a third pitch. Otherwise, sometimes you can get figured out if you have like you just don't have as much margin for error. If the fastball velocity loses a little or whatever. Now, Tyler Glass now was having a really good season before he got injured, whatever that was, like a year ago, year and a half ago, with basically a two-pitch pitcher. But he was kind of working on a third pitch. Maybe he can work on that. But those those two pitches are just – they're bananas. They're, they're, his fastball is, like, unhittable. That stuff plus number I was talking about with Eno Saris. So, like, Garrett Cole's overall stuff plus is 127, which, again, is one of the best marks among starting pitchers. Spencer Strider has the best stuff plus among pitchers for just the fastball, it's like 150. It's yeah, it's ridiculous. incredible. Yeah. So uh, he is. I, I'm going to go with him as the third pick here. Degrom is interesting because you know you're going to get great ratios and everything when he's in. If you're confident in your ability to pick up a pitcher for when he's hurt to be able to fill in the role, then I'd say go for it. But you have to go into it understanding you're probably only going to get I don't know 80 to 120 innings from Jacob Degrom in that given season. Okay, yeah. let's uh. Move on to relief pitchers. I don't know. We can just take one for this one, to be honest. Josh Hader would have been the guy before maybe a month ago, a month and a half ago. But I, I think now it's pretty clearly between three, maybe four guys. Edwin Diaz, Emmanuel Class A, Liam Hendricks. And then I guess you could throw Devin Williams in there because he's now the closer. Yeah, you know, uh, Edwin Diaz feels like a lock there. Um, he's just been a different level of elite. Um, bums me out because – uh, heading into this fantasy season in our keeper league, I kind of threw him in as a, as a quote unquote throw in for a deal. Um, that was sure. Great. Uh, his value in our league somehow is way too high. We're not going to get into that, but Edwin Diaz is the best reliever in baseball. Um, and I don't think that changes. He's still young. He's on a team that's going to win. He's going to get a lot of saves. He makes a lot of sense. Okay. So that's one right there. Don't have to go too deep in that. The other three that you mentioned right there, Emmanuel Classe, he's on a team that they win a lot of close games, and he's proven that he's a pretty capable closer. He was the American League closer as well. He probably should be that second number. Liam Hendricks has kind of fallen off. He's older. I, I would throw him kind of out of that mix. Devin Williams is intriguing to me, though, because he didn't enter the season as the closer. And as far as taking over the role, he's been completely dominant. And... I think that he's not thrown into this conversation. I think he's very well deserved to be in the top two conversation to the point where I think that the Brewers win more games just from, you know, a standpoint of their offense is not particularly great consistently. Um, Williams has looked really good uh, in that closer role. And so part of me is sitting here just like, you know, he he's a guy that I can rely on. Uh, to be pitching deep in the or late in these games. But at the same time, he only has two saves over the last month. So Craig Council does some weird stuff with the bullpen. And that concerns me. And with that in mind, while I think Williams is actually a better pitcher than Classe, and, uh, you know, some of his stat casts numbers kind of support that, I think Classe's situation might be a little bit better just because it's a guaranteed closer role. Yeah, Classe is really good. Which is weird to me is, and you're throwing like a 101 mile per hour cutter. Why is your K per nine only like 9.7? Right. You know right. what I mean? Right. And Devin Williams is like 14 and a half. And I like the fact that because Devin Williams is like a changeup pitcher, 
I just feel like there's a higher floor there. If the fastball loses like a mile per hour because he's he's kind of basing off the changeup, I'd be tempted to go there. Like we've seen the, the one thing that scares me with Edwin Diaz. We saw it a couple of years ago. He had the blow up season. He couldn't command. And you know that is in the back of your mind that that season is a possibility. I think there's a higher floor there with Williams. I would go Diaz first, but yeah, I might go Devin Williams. I think number two. It's it's crazy. So if you look at his uh, baseball savant page, so let me just read these off in order. 99th percentile. He's an average exit velocity, hard hit rate. Um, he is also in K rate. Okay. Uh, and whiff rate. Um, 99th percentile. He's in the 100th percentile in expected batting average, expected slugging, barrel rate, uh, and extension as well. So he's already an elite K- – like, like this is an elite pitcher that we're talking about right here. The only weird kind of thing that really sticks out, he's dominant in almost everything. His fastball velocity, though, is belie- below league average, and his walk rate is, like, terrible. He's in the seventh percentile in that. So that is a concern. You don't want a guy that has any of those location issues. So that that's a little bit of an issue. His chase rate's at 87%, so that's part of the reason why – He's been able to get away with that just fine. It, it seems to me like he's got such great stuff that he hasn't had really had run into many issues because of that. But control is so important as you get older. Um, so that's something to keep in mind with him. But I, I just, I don't know. I love the player. Don't love the spot. The Brewers kind of drive me crazy. And, you know, they had Josh Hader in this kind of swing role for a while too, right? And um, you couldn't really dictate, you know, you couldn't call Josh Hader the confirmed closer, really, I felt like, into this season. And when you compare the two pitchers, so you go from a guy like Williams, who's been really good, to Klaus hard hit rates in like the 78th percentile, Average exit velocity, 83rd. Those are still good numbers. K-rate's 86th. He's not as dominant. The whip rate at 83. But his fastball velocity, as you mentioned, 100 percentile. Chase rate, 100 percentile. Fastball spin rate, 99th. Extension, 63rd. Uh, expected slugging, 99th. Barrel rate, 99th. There's not a lot that turns you away from him. So I feel like he's a safer pick. And he's also only 24 years old. So there's a three-year differential. I'm probably going class A. Let's finish up with a shotgun six-pack. George Kirby or Logan Gilbert moving forward? Oh, it's tough. Both are good. I, I like the guy that's probably given me a little bit more uh, as a body of work, and that's Logan Gilbert. But um, Kirby's going to be a really special talent. I, the Mariners are so lucky. They all of a sudden have this breed of pitching that is going to be great there. Uh, but with that being said, if you look at Gilbert's savant page, it's also kind of ugly. Um, he's like in the bottom tier of a lot of things. So it, it makes you wonder – how much of this is a facade and how much of this is uh, a guy that just knows how to pitch and doesn't really, he kind of breaks the metrics. Right. Um, I think I've seen more from him. You look at Kirby's, it's not like it's much better His walk rates elite, but other than that, I, I think Kirby's got a pretty high ceiling. I trust Gilbert a little more. I don't think either one have great stuff. I They're both just good at locating, but I think Kirby's even better at it. I mean, you just Maybe. saw the other day he had 24 straight strikes, which like yeah. was an MLB record or whatever. I like Kirby longer term. I really do. Or, I, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure either guy is like a, I don't know, a top five pitcher potential. Right. I think they're just going to be solid. You I, know think I, mean? I agree. I totally – it's the Mariners. They never get unreal guys since really Felix – I mean, when you think about King Felix, that's the last guy that you think in your head that truly could pitch at an elite level that they produced. Better pirate for 2023. We talked a little about O'Neill Cruz or Cabrian Hayes. 
Uh, it's Cruz. Brian Hayes, I feel like I'm wrong about. Uh, I thought he was going to be so good heading into the season. His hit tool looked incredible last year. He is like no pop. Um, he can't seem to stay healthy. That's a huge problem at that age. O'Neill Cruz, while he you know, can frustrate the heck out of you as an owner this year, he shows signs of just absolutely elite talent when – when you know he hits the baseball 122 miles per hour i mean he broke john carlos stanton's record he broke the stat cast record you know that there's something that's special there and you know we, we've seen guys that are young that don't produce immediately that end up becoming superstars i think that's what o'neill cruz is on path to do i think kid brian hayes is all of a sudden really dropping off my draft board a lot uh to the point where it's hard for me to see him outside of a top 100 pick I wish you could combine the players. Like if you had, I know Hayes has kind of dropped off, but if you had like Hayes contact skills with O'Neill Cruz power, you'd have the best 300 hitter baseball. with like 50 home <laughs> runs. Yeah. It'd be nuts. I, I would go O'Neill Cruz though as well. He's I, I think going to still be interesting. I don't know that the average is ever going to be there, but maybe next year he can be like a two thirty guy with 30 home runs. Something like that. that. So yeah. there's use there. Yeah. Uh, do you like the new schedule format for 2023 where you play everybody in the MLB? Yes, I do. I, you know, there was something kind of cool, like as a Dodgers fan, anytime the Dodgers and Yankees played, it made that, that much more special, um, just the history and rivalry that that's there. And so now knowing that that's kind of going to be every year, I, you know, we already played the interleague, um, to the point where, you know, it's not in the month of May anymore, right? Like it's always spread across the board and that kind of changed the month of May a little bit. That was always something as a kid I looked forward to. I I'm indifferent with it. I, it doesn't bother me too much. It doesn't make me excited though. I think it's cool that you get a matchup and see everybody, but like, what's the cool thing about the Super Bowl? You never know what that matchup's going to look like. You have a chance to play somebody that you already played before, but sometimes it's the first time those teams meet and, and that makes it kind of even more exciting. The world series has been kind of the same way. Um, I don't know. I, I don't have much of an opinion on it. it it's it's fine. I, I think that it's cool. You get to play every team and base yourself and have uh, somewhat of a, a meter, I guess, a measuring stick to see where you stack up against everybody. But it also kind of devalues, you know, the first time a team meets each other in like a postseason matchup, right? It will make it cool, though, that we don't have to worry about like, hey, this team won 96 games in this crappy division while this right. team won 94. Sure. You, you, you actually get a – and I also saw like some of the uh, road trips, at least this is like the Giants case. They have like two 10 game road trips, which those are long. But outside of that, they're all like shorter road trips. You yeah. don't have to worry about like families being far away from it. Right. So that's kind of cool. I, I like it. I, I think it's going to be cool that you're going to get to see all these different teams and, and stuff in their ballparks. We talked earlier about Aaron Judge possibly going to the Giants. They play New York for yeah. the first series of yeah. the season in New York. So that would be uh, certainly interesting if that ends up happening it's better, better than the it's better than the schedule that we have this year um i don't know what what it looks like for all 30 teams at the end of the season but derek guess how long the series is they have with the rockies to end the season how many six games oh my god they end the season on a <laughs> six game homestand and it's all against the rockies it's a six game series i mm. that has that ever happened like i don't remember that ever happening I think it's happened where you played one on the road, one at home. I don't know if those are both in the same ballpark this, or what. Yeah, this is all six in a row. And, and two weeks prior, the Dodgers have a five-game series with the Diamondbacks. What Wild. like? And, and that's not the only time. I know that there's other teams that have like five-game stretches this season. And it's just 
I don't know what happened in the scheduling. I, I can't really understand it, but uh, yeah, at least looking forward to the fact that we won't have a six game series next year. Oh, get them ready for playoff series, I guess. <laughs> uh, better rest of season, Mike Trout or Bryce Harper? I uh, Bryce Harper. Um, I am never a believer in Mike Trout in the month of September. There's nobody around him that seems to be motivated. The Angels organization is a disaster. Artie Moreno is about to try and trade the team. Mike Trout can't even seem to stay healthy. They'll probably rest him every other day, uh, given the Byron Buxton treatment. Bryce Harper, when he comes back, the Phillies are competing. They need to win games to stay alive in the wild card. He's going to be a crucial impact bat in that lineup. It's it's Harper for me all the way. Yeah, Trout, I don't know how often he's going to be playing. Um, he could take a day off. He could take two days off every week, especially once we get in uh, another couple weeks here and, and we're in the home stretch true or false the Mets are the best team in New York true the Yankees look terrible right now man and uh, if I'm the Yankees so I'm incredibly worried because if the season ended today they would have to face the winner of the Guardians and the Mariners one thing that those two teams have I feel like over the Yankees is the depth in the rotation now right and so you would have to face either Luis Castillo and Robbie Ray as a combo um, plus you mentioned, we, we had that conversation about Kirby and Gilbert, Th- those, those are also at play, um, matching up against Garrett Cole. And then what, I mean, there's no real depth there. Uh, Frankie Montas does not look great. Um, they just, the Yankees kind of scare me rotation wise. If they don't face them, if they face the guardians, you're facing a rotation of Shane Bieber and you're facing Tristan McKenzie and Cal Quantrill has been pretty good. Um, I just, I don't know, man. I, I think the Yankees fans have something to be really worried about right now. And the Mets, their real major fear should be the Dodgers and Braves. Truly. Yeah, I, I agree. I like the Mets the best. Uh, and especially once you get in a playoff series, DeGrom and Scherzer at the top. Good luck. Scary. So scary. Which current last place team in their division, besides the Red Sox, will have the best 2023 season? Yeah, uh, that's, that's a great question because when you look at how these teams are – you know, I guess moving in the directions that they're in, right? You have the Colorado Rockies who Derek and I have trashed so often because they deserve every ounce of it, right? Like there's just no direction there. And yet at the same time, they have the pieces to where like somehow they're going to win 70 games at the end of each season. And I think the Red Sox will have a better season obviously than them next year. But if you survey the rest of these teams, right? The Detroit Tigers have been awful. Okay, I I don't trust Spencer Torkelson anymore. I think that there's something to fear there. Um, And there's, you know, I I thought the Tigers might be the second place team at the start of the year. I think we even talked about that, right, Derek? Like, weren't our picks that the Tigers might have a chance to make the playoffs? Yeah, I put a I put a plus three fifty bet on the playoffs. I mean, like, what the heck, man? What happened here? Uh, Torkelson's awful. The lineup's terrible. Javi Baez looks like the worst signing of the offseason. Tigers are going nowhere. So I, I put them down at the bottom. The Oakland A's have nothing to offer either. They're right there with them. They're, I don't even need to touch on them. Uh, to be honest with you, the Nationals, they're probably a year or two from really getting those pieces they acquired to come up and produce. So I'm keeping them down at the bottom. It's between the Rockies and the Pirates for me. And and I kind of like some of the pieces the Pirates have coming up. But with that being said, the Rockies have more pieces right now. So just for the stupid way the Rockies are, they're somehow going to have a better record than the other four last place teams. I'm going to go with the Pirates. I just for the fun of it, um, O'Neill Cruz has a nice season. Brian Hayes gets better. 
I kind of like Jack Sawinski as a power guy. He came up briefly this year and uh, could maybe have more playing time next year. Brian Reynolds maybe be more healthy next season. And I really like Ronzi Contreras. I, I think he could turn into something. Mitch Keller has had like interesting analytics, but hasn't really put it together. I, I'm in on the Pirates being a little bit better. Plus, the thing I like about taking the Pirates there is that like the Reds have a great farm system right now, but they're, that's still probably two, three years away, right? right. Um, the Cubs, I don't really know what they're going to look like. You could convince me they're going to spend money because they have it. You could also convince me they're going to do another year of this kind of like rebuild thing. So I think the avenue is there for the Pirates to be a lot better next season. I'm not saying like playoff team, but if some of those players hit, you know, maybe Henry Davis starts to get on an accelerated path. He's in double A and I was dealing with the injury. Maybe he comes up at some point like in July of next year and they, they just get better and they have kind of a boost similar to what Adley Rutschman has done for the Baltimore Orioles. Pirates are the team I'm going with. Friend of the show, Jared Oliva. Uh, he's going to hit 40 home runs and steal 50 bases for the Pirates next year at a 400 average. Love it. <laughs> he's Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. That's this edition of Booze and Baseball. We'll be back at it next week.